Progressive Rugby League. again, John and Duncan. You know, I've always been interested in philosophical debates around how different sports should or shouldn't be played. I honestly don't know much about soccer football, for example, but I love listening to people talk about, say, the Cruyff approach versus the more pragmatic philosophy of, say, a Mourinho. I feel like those references are extremely dated, but the point is there are clearly distinct philosophies at play that are never far from any analysis of the game. Similarly, there's long been the Northern Hemisphere-Southern Hemisphere divide discussion about the way rugby union is and should be played. Hey, I'm not saying I want to watch it, though I do dabble at times, but it is interesting to hear about. There have undoubtedly been similar discussions in rugby league, but I've always felt the philosophical debate around how the game should be played has never been as much of a focus in Oz. I have a feeling there may have been more of such an emphasis in the UK perhaps, and certainly in France, but in Australia, I don't know, not so much. It's always been more about just collecting the W's. Sure, there was the Tigers' sprightliness under Sheens and the Storm's calculated approach in the early Bellamy years, but such talk has always been more about style than philosophy. We liked it or we didn't, but rarely did it lead to passion debate about how the game should be played. So, I wonder if this whole messy rules debate in the NRL over the past 12 months or so might focus our minds a bit more on the kind of rugby league we're watching and the kind we want to see. Give the people more tries sounds like a reasonable strategy on the surface, but now that we're getting more tries, we begin to ask ourselves about the kind of tries we want to see. Sure, give us more tries when teams pride defences open with skill, precision and a bit of creative flair, but what if the tries come too easily from an exhausted defensive line that can't stop a succession of rolling hit-ups from quick play the balls? But before we can get too deep into all that, perhaps we should try and get some clarity on what we're actually seeing on the field. What exactly has changed in the way the game is played over the past 12 months? What is it about the altered rules that might be leading to these changes? And what other explanations should we also consider? To help shed some light, we're kindly joined by Jason Oliver from Rugby League Writers, Stats Insider and Sport Tech Daily. Jason is one of the more astute rugby league analysts going around in my opinion, busily keeping his finger on the pulse of the trends and traits of rugby league gameplay. What are the players that are making the difference? What characteristics do successful teams share? What point are the rubbish teams missing? And where does all this rules marquee fit into it all? We're obviously not going to get to the bottom of all this, but let's see how far we can reach. Jason Oliver, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. G'day. Thanks for having me. Keen to get stuck in. Fabulous. Really glad you could join us, Jason, from the Coromandel Peninsula of New Zealand there. I suppose we should start off by discussing what we're seeing before our very eyes on the field in 2021. Clearly, something's changed in the NRL. There are more points being scored, bigger margins... The better teams are leaving the average teams behind and the rubbish teams for dead. Jason, why is this happening? Is it simply a function of the six-again rule or is there more to it? It's a lot of things. It's all started to come up in the last couple of weeks where it's either one or the other. People are either on the side of six-again or they're on the side of bad teams. But there's always been bad teams. So I think it's the typical things, roster construction, bad front offices. Uh, but the six-again rule has definitely made those bad teams worse and widen the gap. Mm-hmm. Bad teams, everyone will say bad teams need to get better, but I don't know why we'd really want to make that more difficult. And I think from the first 17 rounds of this year, it's pretty clear that the 16 rule has definitely played a part in that, even if it's not the only reason. Sure. And what is it exactly about the six again rule? Can we sort of dive into the specifics? 
Yeah, well, the NRL can't seem to decide whether they wanted to have promoted fatigue or not. One minute they say they wanted to do it, then they say they didn't. And I think the latest is now they have promoted fatigue. And that's just really allowed the, the good teams that were already good to really roll up the field and run at more fatigued defences, which is obviously going to translate into more points, but they're all only going one way, mm. really, at the moment. So the good teams are still good, believe it or not, and they're just rolling up. And the bad teams, it's really made their job difficult. They don't have the opportunity to sort of perform some of the dark arts and the play the ball, to mm. slow it down and maybe, you know, encroach on the 10 and push the referee a little bit. Mm. But the good teams aren't necessarily the ones being awarded more six-again calls. Mm. The bad teams, they need those full penalties. They need a relieving penalty. Even if they can manage to slow these teams down, they're still being asked to work out of their own end under fatigue. So these attacking teams that have just smashed them for six tackles, got good line speed, they're pushing up and while well, they're working out of 10 or 20 metres. Mm. So they give away six again, and that bad team will say one extra tackle and maybe five metres when you know, they really need that relieving penalty to mm. get 30 or 40 metres up the field, reset, maybe apply some pressure of their own, repeat set, and six against really taken away that opportunity mm. for the bad team to fight their way back into the contest, really. Right. Yeah, well, that's interesting. A couple of things from me, I guess, on the six again that I guess I've probably been surprised by. First of all, fatigue is clearly a factor, but it's probably a different manifestation of fatigue mostly at play than what was originally imagined and what is generally discussed when it comes to the six again rule. I think people originally thought it would be like a creeping fatigue that gets you at the end of halves and games, but that doesn't really sync with the sort of avalanche of games that get to 18 and 24 nil and even time. Plus there are more tries, which is leading to more breaks in play anyway. So it's probably more of that kind of interval type training fatigue, asking players to extend their intensity efforts. The teams in the past could defend repeat sets in their sleep, but clearly those small breaks for a penalty made a big difference. I wonder if if it's like a a sprinter that trains to sprint 100 metres and then rocks up to the athletics meet and is told she's in the 200. It's kind of like a different kettle of fish. And that kind of leads to a second surprise about the six again, and that is that the six again call for a a ruck infringement or a 10-meter infringement is probably more of a punishment than a penalty was. I think before it came in, I saw the six again would be kind of like a mini penalty or penalty light because you weren't losing 30 or 40 meters that you would with a, a penalty. You just have to make a few more tackles. That was my thinking. But clearly the break, that 10, 20 seconds you get with a penalty was much more important than those meters, particularly for the, the lesser teams. And like you're saying, actually, I think the lesser teams would prefer a penalty to a six again, both in attack and defense. In attack, the bad teams generally less organized, so they'd probably appreciate the chance to reset. And in defense, lesser teams would prefer to give away a penalty to a six again because the good teams are well organized and are great at resetting their attack to keep peppering the defensive teams and keeping those plays coming. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the six again helps the good teams a little bit, but it makes things a lot more difficult with the bad. So mm. I understand the intentions. I actually, when it first was announced, I wasn't instantly anti the rule. I had plenty of concerns when they introduced the, the 10 meter infringements. I had no doubt that that might be a bit of a nightmare. Mm. But for ruck infringements, I thought, I still think there is maybe a place for it, and I think that's where they'll end up. But they need a lot of tinkering. I think they need to look at the bad teams 
when they're reassessing how they're going to approach the rule changes because I'd imagine there will be some at the end of the year. Mm. I don't think they'll dig their heels in and keep going the way they are at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting point because there's been a bit of argument about blowouts and that they haven't really increased in Super League or the, the French Elite 1, but I think you, you make a good distinction there between the six again for ruck infringements and the six again for 10 metre as well. Uh, and Super League didn't bring in the six again for 10 metre infringements and either did the French Elite 1. So, And obviously it wasn't brought in in the NRL last year, it was only brought in this year. We have seen a bit of an uptick. So clearly the the six again for the 10 metre rule has been a factor that um, was more than anticipated. Now, Jason, what about some other factors? You know, perhaps refereeing style. Has refereeing style changed in the NRL along with the new rules? When a ref calls held makes a huge difference to how the game is played. Have you noticed anything there? You know, some people are saying, look, we just literally have two of the best regular season teams that we've had in history and a couple of the historically worst regular season teams in history. Uh, any Anything in those arguments? I don't think refereeing's changed really much in general. It's obviously changed quite a bit in the last sort of few weeks with the crackdown and how that's all been ruled. But in terms of the six again, I think they still approach it roughly the same. Yep. In particular with the 10 metres, they'll often, if a player's early, you can hear it on the broadcast, they'll start yelling names. Mm. And as long as that player lets their defensive line catch up to them and they don't affect the play, they'll keep the game going in the sort of referee's flow of the game. And I don't think that's really changed at all, Mm. except maybe the players know they can sort of force the issue a bit more now because they're going to be more reluctant to wave six again because just from memory, I think they have been slowly starting to go down every week. Well, not every week, but... Compared to early in the season, right. I think the 10 metre infringements are down more recently. That's interesting. Now, Jason, I do want to share, for transparency's sake, how I've ridden along with the six again phenomenon over the past 12 months or so, because I don't want it to seem like I'm being smart after the fact. So for transparency's sake, first and foremost, did I think the rules needed tweaking at the end of 2019? No, I remember thinking 2019 was a, a perfectly fine year of footy to watch. But I do remember having the odd whinge about defensive teams giving away penalties in the 20 meter zone and making it difficult to attack close to the line and i also remember having the odd whinge about wrestling um so then the six again comes in for ruck infringements in may 2020 post covid and now i don't like the idea of bringing it in mid-season and think changing it to appease the broadcaster is worrying on the other hand i have always been sympathetic to the idea of the six again for ruck infringements in the past this idea has been spoken about on and off for years And I've always liked the idea of it, particularly in the uh, attacking 20. So then it comes to May 2020, and I I didn't actually like it when I first saw it. I remember it was Brisbane versus Parramatta. And that particular game reminded me of a mix between touch footy and rugby union with like repeated phases and plenty of running from dummy half. That was my initial reaction. And then as 2020 went on, I actually started to like it. I felt like uh, there was plenty of good footy being played. And it seemed to lessen the wrestle, cue Twitter mockery. On the other hand, I was a bit concerned by increasing blowouts. But then again, it, maybe it was the, the COVID wildcard and the break that was more of a factor there. So anyway, at the end of 2020, I obviously had mixed feelings about it, but I guess I was okay with it. So then 2021 comes around and the six again rule comes in for the 10 meter infringements. And I, I didn't like the idea of that, like you were a bit concerned by it as well. And I guess, you know, after being on the fence about it at the end of 2020, I thought it was a bad move to bring it in because we're already sort of 
on the precipice of mucking up the balance between attack and defense. We were uncertain at best about that. And so after all my toing and froing in the last 12 months or so, I guess I think the whole six again thing, I feel like it's probably been a bit of a net loss and we should probably you know, get rid of it or at the very least just revert to six again for ruck infringements only. Uh, I do want to get deeper into that a bit later, but I just did want to share my experience with it all because I guess I haven't been 100% one way or another throughout. But Jason, let's just dig in a bit deeper into the way teams have adapted to the six again and the new interpretations. Are there certain things the good teams are doing to take advantage of the game in 2021? What are they taking advantage of? And on the flip side, what are the bad teams not doing? I think for the most part, the game was already moving towards where it's got to now. So there's a lot more ball playing middles, shifting the ball wide. And that was already starting to happen. Mm. But again, the six again rule, when again those good teams get a repeat set, stay on second tackle, they don't think we've got a freebie. Mm. They literally reset this set and keep going. They'll keep hitting one out for another two tackles like they normally would in an exit set. So, so they're just continually compressing the defensive line through the middle and then those good teams have the ball players to get the ball out wide. We saw it with the Storm quite a bit mm. over the last couple of years. Cameron Smith, he had that long pass that could stretch the middle defence. He would go from one side to the other and they'd just move, move, move. And then more recently, the Storm will use Christian Welch and Jesse Bromwich, Dale Finucane. They'll be the ones to move the ball. Mm. So I think... I think we're already getting there, but the teams that are already well-constructed to sort of shift the ball through the middle, they're making the most of it. Mm. And I think I think Victor Radley of the Roosters is a, probably one of the best examples of the influence a ball-playing middle can have on the halves with how his just being on the field affected Kyle Flanagan last year. Mm-hmm. He started pretty well. Victor Radley tore his ACL. Flanagan was dropped mm. a month later. Mm. Uh, this year... Sam Walker on fire. He's still been pretty good, but he wasn't quite as electric in those games without Bradley. And that's just with the extra time and space those ball-playing middles provide a half. And when you've got that in conjunction with the tight defensive line that's not moving forward, the middle men, which I guess is what they wanted to do, is bring back the little man, they do appear to have a lot more time with the ball. And that's where you're seeing the really good ones, like Nathan Cleary, all his deception moving across the field. That's a result of that extra time and space mm. that they're getting with the ball playing middles and the slower line speed. So I think they've, it's all just happened together. And I think good teams have adapted quite as much as they're just naturally adapting to changes in the game, which tend to happen every so often. Yeah. Just on, on that ball playing middles point there, so what exactly is it about the ball playing middle that is so advantageous? Uh, when you've got a big unit like Junior Paulo, 120 kgs, running at you, the defence is going to want to get two or three into that tackle. So if he's approaching the line in the middle of the field and then he can pass the ball as good as a halfback, he's attracted a lot of that middle defence and stopped any slide from occurring. Mm. And if he plays out the back of shape to one of their halves, the middle defence hasn't been able to slide along. And the defensive props are normally tasked with applying pressure to ball players. They've had to stick on those big ball playing middles. So the ones that engage the line the best are the ones that are holding up that defence in the middle. And then that's why the really good teams are finding so much success mm. out wide because they can, where it used to be sort of the three or four in defender was attracting a lot of lead runs and attention, that's been pushed out to more, 
they'll try and hit the centers inside shoulder more often now yeah and then that's when they're deciding you know play short play wide and then they've got all the space and one defender on the edge so it's, it's just the the gravity i'd call it of the ball playing middle yeah and how much they just slow the defense down from sliding so it just gives that extra fraction of a second to the the ball players in the back line to have a little bit more space that just makes the world of difference that's very interesting now, what kind of roster is best suited to these rules? Is it fair to say some clubs were unluckily caught cold with a roster unsuited to the new rules, or is that just a, a cop-out? Should squads be able to easily adjust? Um, again, Storm and Panthers were already on their way. I don't want to sound like I'm picking on West Tigers, but they're probably a good example of roster that you're not really going to want to construct at the moment. Right. That was my big concern for them before this season, is that all of their forwards... They're kind of the same player. They don't have that ball playing middle. Mm-hmm. I think Alex Twile, their lock, he might have passed the ball six times all year. He's mm. not going to do those things that I was just talking about. So they've been caught out a little bit, but also they hadn't shown many signs of adjusting with the times. And you know, Luke Brooks hasn't quite kicked on like people thought he might have, but mm-hmm. maybe in a different setup and a different pack in front of him, he could go all right. So I don't know if. There's definitely some clubs that are constructing strange rosters, like my Warriors have gone for bigger is better, mm-hmm. which I have a few concerns about in a similar vein to West Tigers. But for the most part, I think Storm, Panthers, Roosters, yeah, they're, they're already good. They're already moving mm. sort of with the game, and they've kept being good. So it's up to the other clubs. That is one area where teams shouldn't need too long to improve mm. if they recruit properly. They should be able to plug in a few little gaps that should at least make a noticeable difference pretty quick. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose at the crux of it all, the, the six again is the great exacerbator, I guess. So all very interesting. I guess on a related note, uh, it's interesting to also think about the trajectory that rugby league has taken in terms of the attitude to possession. I guess since rugby league got rid of unlimited tackle in the 60s, I think, it inched its way to becoming a fairly militantly shared possession game. And it became harder and harder for a team to get a run of possession. Obviously, scrums became non-contested, I think, during the 80s and 90s. Around the same time, you, you couldn't strike at the play the ball anymore, just like Ian Roberts was really good at back in the day. They made it illegal to strip the ball as well. So all these things, there were probably others, made it a strictly shared possession game. And I guess the potential drawback of a strictly shared possession game is that it could get a bit predictable and it can lend itself to becoming a a dour spectacle. So I guess that's probably why we've started tinkering to enable teams to more easily rest back possession. You know, the the 40-20 rule came in in the late 90s. Stripping became legal again for one-on-one strips, which have both worked well, in, in my opinion. Seven tackle sets give teams a bit of extra ball in good position as well. And now with the six again rule, it's taken it a, a step further. Some refs, you know, more inclined to signal six again than they perhaps were to give penalties for, for ruck infringements or 10 metres. So all of a sudden, after a long trend towards militant shared possessionism, uh, the last decade or two, we've started stepping it back a little and it's sort of becoming less militant about uh, being a shared possession game. So all that's quite interesting to think about. Yeah, well, I think I was just going to mention the Panthers. If there is one thing that has really stood out with them in terms of adjustments, it's they're always prepared to just roll the dice on a repeat set and they know the points are going to come. It's been a noticeable change as how much they've embraced just being patient and building pressure through possession, which other teams might be trying to do, but I'm not sure it's been as noticeable or as deliberate mm. 
is what they've done with how often they can force repeat sets and just camp until they score points because they know they're coming. Yeah. Now, Jason, you're a, a rugby league analyst and you obviously watch the game closely and I assume you rewatch games with your finger on the pause and rewind buttons to identify the trends and all that sort of thing. As someone who consumes a lot of rugby league, what makes a good game for you? Uh, what kind of rugby league do you like to see? And has your perception about what you want to see changed with the new rules? I love a grind. I would watch a low-scoring game, typically, over a high-scoring one, and that has, I believe that even more yeah. now this year. <laughs> I like to see teams train the defence or look towards breaking down the defence. I do watch a lot of games and rewatch and pause, and I take a lot of notes. Mm. But... That's not happening. I'm not getting as many good notes this year. <laughs> I'm not seeing... I'm watching the game sort of how I used to, mm. which would be looking at how a team might break down a left edge, but they might do it two or three sets earlier. Mm. Now, they're not taking two, three, four sets to break down a defence and then hit that gap. It's happening so quick and out of nowhere. So yeah, I'm definitely sort of watching the game a lot different. But if it wasn't the Warriors losing in the... 75th minute in a 10-6 game a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have enjoyed that game more than most others I've seen this season, just because okay. I don't like to know the result quite so early as what we're knowing them right now. Yeah, well, that, that's very interesting. So it sounds like you're not enjoying the viewing experience of rugby league in 2021. I guess um, for me, the, the new rules have made me realise that I probably enjoyed the arm wrestle more than I realised. I, I think I always scoffed a bit at it and yearned for more attacking footy, you know, over the years. But really, this whole experiment has shown how delicate the balance between attack and defence is and, you know, how you really have to be careful before making any changes. I guess also, from my perspective, though, I'm still finding rugby league very watchable. I think good games are still as good as ever to watch. But obviously, there has been a spike in games that are over pretty early on, which frankly are hard to stick with. And I guess I have switched off more often than I have in the past. So, if that's because of the six again, then I guess in a way we're becoming a bit like rugby union in that the rules are such that it makes it harder to get a good game. I mean, in rugby union, again, no expert, but the consensus sometimes is when you get a good game, it's brilliant. But the rules, particularly at international level, mean really good games are few and far between. The difference in the rugby union example, of course, is it's harder to get a good game at international level generally because it's too hard to attack. With rugby league, it might have become hard to get a good game because it's too easy to attack but i am curious jason what do you think it is exactly that people aren't liking a lot of people don't like what they're seeing is it the type of footy that's being played or is it simply the proportion of blowouts i know that's hard to separate but i think it's important to get to the bottom of that and tease it out a bit because that should feed into the discussion about what happens next if the six again has caused more blowouts but the footy is better then maybe you'd stick with it a bit longer to see if teams' trajectories converge a little. Because if that's the case, then you could argue that there's a net gain in the long run. If the six again has caused more blowouts, but the footy is the same or worse, then let's get rid of it. So thoughts? What are people upset I think about? It's, I think they're like the highlights. It's definitely becoming a highlight sport. I watch and write about the NBA as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a league that you can get by watching a couple of games a week but all the highlights pop up on social media as you go along the way. Mm. And I feel like that is what rugby league will become if the blowouts keep happening and people aren't watching so many games live. Mm. I've definitely 
I'm watching just as much league as I normally do, but I'm not. It's not quite the event it was in the last couple of years. I'm watching a lot more replays than I am live games, and that to me is purely the blowouts and the inevitability of so many of the results. Yeah. And even when you're sitting there watching a game like uh, Rabbitohs Cowboys last week, when Tamalolo is doing mm. his thing early, Cowboys get out to a nice lead. You think you're in for a good one, and then in the space of 10 minutes before, before halftime, South's running three tries. They're leading by 10, and you kind of back to that yeah. inevitable feeling of what's going to happen in the second half. So I think the highlights cater to probably the more casual rugby league fan, mm-hmm. and I'm obviously a bit of a nerd, so I can't quite relate to that as much as maybe others, but the blowouts are what will really hurt the game, I think, because when you've got diehards turning it off, and it's a game that relies on TV revenue, that's when we're going to start getting into issues. So I think the game really needs to circle the fans they want to get involved with the game. Mm-hmm. If it's the sort of diehards that are going to watch three, four games a week for 80 minutes, then they need to reduce those score lines. But if it's highlight real plays and all those sort of maybe your social media engagement, mm. they're going to get plenty of that when there's this many points being scored. So Yeah. That's a very interesting one, Jason. I watched that game between the Rabbitohs and the Cowboys too, and I guess that's a good example where it's hard to separate whether you're not liking the the blowouts or the the type of play. For me, I watched that game, and like we discussed earlier, I'm probably more interested in in seeing more attacking play, so I'm probably more inclined to to enjoy a game like that. I, I watched that game and I enjoyed what I saw. Although I didn't like the blowout, you know, so I'm try- I was trying to separate what was it about that game. Should we stick with something like this to see if teams can converge in terms of their quality? Or is this blowout thing actually going to be a bigger issue? And I guess for that particular game, I walked away from that game thinking that was a good game to watch. Okay, it was a blowout. But I actually liked what I saw. I enjoyed watching Cody Walker. Tamalolo had a good first half. So there was a lot, lots I took out of that game. But obviously the blowout was uh, a detraction. The interesting point I think you make there is the diehards versus casuals. That's a very interesting question about who we need to cater for. So I would make an argument that rugby league Twitter is probably, if you're on Twitter as a rugby league kind of person, you're probably a diehard. So you're getting a lot of those kind of opinions about what's happening with the game from the from the diehards. I would argue, though, that in terms of the rugby league potential audience, I'd think, you know, 80% of them are casual, are more casual. So if you look at the TV audiences for a typical rugby league Friday night game, it might be 800,000 in Australia when you add the free-to-air and the, the subscription television audience. And it's 200 or 300,000 if it's just on subscription television. When you get to Origin, which is kind of the maximum rugby league TV audience or a grand final, you're getting three or four million. So there's five to ten kind of times the viewership at one of those big event games. And that's all from casual viewers who will watch it because, you know, it's on. It's something that they're used to watching once or twice a year. So that's an interesting one to sort of think about, I think, down the track about who we are trying to really win over here is it the more the casual viewer and try to get them into becoming more interested on a more regular basis or are we catering to the diehard who is the uh, the bread and butter who's giving us you know the subscriptions buying the tickets and all that sort of thing so that's a very interesting one as well i always try to think of would my mum watch this or know what's going on (laughs) as a kiwi woman that 
was obviously predominantly watches rugby union and she's watching sport. Yeah. She'll jump on the Warriors bandwagon, but if she doesn't know what's going on, then, you know, I think yeah. they've not bridged the gap so well between, because she's the definition of a casual yeah. rugby league fan for me, really. <laughs> she's who I can sort of look at yeah. as the other side of the coin to me. That's a good way of thinking about it too. I think when I'm watching rugby league on a Friday night, for example, I would consider myself a casual fan of other sports. So if I flick over to the AFL, for instance, and I see that it's a close game, I'm more likely to stick on that for, I don't know, a couple of minutes more than I would have if it was, you know, a a blowout. So I guess reversing that, if you've got casual fans watching something else and then flicking over to the rugby league, if it's a blowout, yeah, less likely to have them stick if it's close. A casual fan is not a, obviously attuned to all the tactics and everything. They're just interested in who's going to win most of the time. So that's a that's another interesting point. So there's lots to think about. Yeah, I think you've basically you've summed it up. You've got to give people those casual fans a flick of on a reason to hang around. And when it's forty two ten with twenty minutes to go, yeah, they'll probably flick it off. Absolutely. And as usual, I've straddled the fence and sort of come up with. Uh, <laughs> come up with angles from for both sides of the argument now jason you're a new zealander so i'm going to ask you to speak on behalf of all kiwis now what kind of rugby league do new zealanders like to see is there a type of rugby league that can best differentiate itself from rugby union because i don't know generally speaking as i said earlier rugby union is seen more as a, a technical dow spectacle certainly in the northern hemisphere but new zealand is known for playing fairly attractive rugby union so what kind of rugby league are Kiwis particularly attracted to, do you think? I'd say just purely through the Glory Day Warriors. They would be most attracted to the razzle-dazzle, throw it around. Um, I think every sort of long-term Warriors fan has got a Jason Costigan line <laughs> that they can throw out when something crazy is happening. Can you give us one? So I think um, they're playing basketball was one of them. <laughs> they were throwing it around. So I think Leagueys here which I'd consider myself now, even though I did play union when I was younger. I think we typically like to rub it into the union mates as they, with their boring game and then show them the highlights of tries in the corner, cross-field kicks, wraparounds and all that sort of stuff. So I think the razzle-dazzle, in terms of the professional rugby league, they like the expansive old-school warriors, we could call it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of local rugby league, it's almost the opposite when I go down the games it's off the back fence run it a million miles an hour absolutely bash each other for 80 minutes and then up to the club rooms for a beer yeah so that might also be a bit of a part of it as a lot of the people playing league here will play sort of a real straight and direct physical so they might like to see something a little bit different yeah on the tally when they when they are watching it yeah, that's interesting when you talk about the warriors there that makes me think it's a it's almost a cruel irony for Warriors fans over the last couple of years where the rules have been altered to make attacking play easier and yet the Warriors are kind of the dullest team in the competition. They can't score many points or they can't really get on a, an attacking roll. That must be a cruel irony for you. Yeah, it's getting pretty frustrating as the weeks go by. Yeah. But learning to expect it a little bit more. But now that it's looking a little bit brighter next year, I'll be back on the wagon soon enough. Yes, and we'll get to reasons for that later on. Uh, now, just to change tack slightly, I'm interested in your thoughts on the role of the fullback in the modern game. Now, over the past 10 or 20 years, the role of the fullback has obviously expanded, and really the game the game is set up to make a fullback look good. They often get to throw that last pass, they get the ball in space, 
they get the chance to make try saving tackles. What what are really good fullbacks doing that casual viewers perhaps don't see? Because generally, most people will walk away from a game saying, "Gee, that fullback's a good player." So first of all, is the defensive work they do and ordering numbers, which you can only really see when you're at the ground, sitting mm. end on. So they're counting numbers out the back and directing peeling defenders to whichever the side of the ruck that needs filling. Mm. And I think the best fullbacks in attack now are really carrying that skill over to attack. They're not waiting out the back of shape and waiting for their halves to set up a block play on the edge. They're sort of floating around the ball a lot more. James Sadesco is one of the best at just seeing how a set's playing out. He'll be floating on the right side and then all of a sudden the camera cuts and he's on the left short side with a numbers advantage putting a teammate down the sideline. And then Tom Trebojevic is a little bit different where he, I don't think I've ever seen a fullback run over the top of an A defender on the goal line as many times as I've seen him do it because he just sees those opportunities in the line and is so instinctive in how he plays that he just finds those opportunities rather than sort of waiting for those moments with the ball like they might have a few years ago. Mm. So I think, yeah, the, the good ones are the ones that are active, always around the ball, and because we're kept to such a small box on the broadcast, we don't really get to see them and their work they're doing out the back so much. Yeah. But you can, just in their movements, I think is what people can really look out for and how often they're moving from side to side on the field. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one about Turbo Tom. I saw him live for the first time earlier this year. I'm a Parramatta fan, so I went to the Parramatta versus Manly game at Parramatta Stadium and watching him live in action, wow, that was one of the highlights of my live rugby league viewing career, just watching him go about his business, both, like you say, in attack and defense, but in attack he was always lurking, knew exactly when to to press the button and when to inject himself. And in defence, all over the place and making those try-saving tackles. And I also didn't realise, because on TV he kind of looks uh, thin and, and kind of breakable, but actually he's quite, uh, he's quite robust in real life. He, he's very strong. So that was great to watch. And, and on your point about defence, I think Matt Dufty's probably a good example. You watch a Dragons game just casually at the pub and you walk away thinking Matt Dufty is a great player, yet teams are, are not really knocking down the door to get him to sign a new contract. So obviously there's... There's plenty of stuff there that perhaps in defence, from what I, I read, that he's not doing properly. Yeah, he is definitely one that gets caught out. With fullbacks, when they're defending the line, they're defending around the ruck and sort of a defender on the short side a lot more now. And when you've got a good crafty hooker, they can just send a big man straight at Matt Duffy, who's defending on his line. Mm. He's going to lose that battle a lot more than to a big unit like Tuivasa Sheik or Trebojevic. And I think that is... It's a bit of a concern for me with Reese Walsh at the Warriors and teams are slowly starting to look for him in the defensive line. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to start working on that because, yeah, that's definitely those defensive issues of where Matt Dufty's career is struggling at the moment and yeah. why he could only sign a one-year deal with the probable wooden spooners. Yeah. Now, back to New Zealand, if I may, Jason, and the Warriors specifically. Uh, has having the Warriors out of the country over the past couple of years affected the media footprint of the Warriors and rugby league in general in New Zealand? Well, I lived in Australia for three years before moving back March last year. Right. So they've actually been out of the country the whole time I've been here. But from just living here most of my life, there seems to be a lot less 
coverage on them at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that's got anything to do with them being out of the country. I think it's just unless they're playing really well, you don't really hear about them so much. Mm-hmm. And all the sort of negative coverage we see in rugby league in Australia, mm. a lot of that is saved for rugby union when it's required here instead. So mm. if the All Blacks lose or the player's in trouble, mm. that's all the headlines. And rugby league tends to fly under the radar unless they're playing well. And mm. then sort of people start to get on the bandwagon. But even now, the Warriors have lost seven out of eight. If that was the All Blacks or a super rugby team, mm. I think we'd be hearing a lot more about it. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's a lot different, but I don't think it has much to do with them being out of the country other than sort of the couple of weeks last year where the NRL and other clubs made quite a big deal about the sacrifices. Mm. It's the only, the only time I've really noticed a big spike in sort of the Warriors on the traditional news outlets. Yeah. And what about getting rugby league on free-to-air TV from next year for, for the odd game in New Zealand? That that seems like a really good move. Will, will that make a difference? Because from my understanding, there's not much live sport on free-to-air TV in New Zealand. Uh, there's not an anti-siphoning law in New Zealand, I believe, like there is in Australia or the UK. So will that make a difference? I think it might make a little one. I probably would have been more enthusiastic about it before hearing your chat with the author of Code Wars and oh. how he talked about Origin not, you know, it has the big TV viewers, but it doesn't necessarily turn a lot of those viewers into bigger fans of the game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think free-to-air TV is not as much of a thing in New Zealand mm. as it is in Aussie. I don't even have it, and I know go. a lot of people that don't bother. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure. It's. I think it's cool. I think it'll be nice to see rugby league on those channels just as a footy fan, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure Mount Smart's all of a sudden going to be heaving because a couple of games are on yeah. free-to-air in the coming years. I guess it can't hurt, and I guess at the very least, uh, as I mentioned to you off-air, my girlfriend is from New Zealand, and when I visit there, the in-laws just have the free-to-air, so uh, there's just zero live sport. So I'm looking forward to having that option, I guess, if we can time it right, <laughs> to actually see some live sport on, on New Zealand free-to-air TV. Now, Jason, we are running out of time unfortunately. But one more question, if I may, and we we sort of alluded to it earlier. You call yourself a Sean Johnson apologist on Twitter. I'm a huge fan too. And I know you are thrilled to see him back at the Warriors next year. How has his game changed over the years and and what can he add to the Warriors for the next couple of years? Well, we saw exactly what he can add over the weekend when he managed the Sharks to a victory over the Warriors. And he's been doing that for a lot longer than I think most people give him credit. He's talked about wanting to be a game manager for years, but we keep hearing he needs to run the ball more and all that sort of gear. So I think he, the player he is finally being recognised as now. He has been for a few years already, and you can see that in 2018, Warriors' right edge attack scored the most tries in the comp when he was there. Mm-hmm. 2019 and 2020 with the Sharks. The Sharks' right edge was the best right edge attack in the comp. So tries follow him, and he hasn't been the quick steppy halfback for a long time mm. so he's gonna he's gonna bring tries with them we know that much and based on what we've seen this year and last year he's gonna bring a level head and just he rolled in five force dropouts on the weekend mm. to just build that pressure on the Warriors and they had no answer mm. and yeah the Warriors don't have that at all at the moment yep. so I think the perception of him is changing and it might just be because he has a number seven on his back mm-hmm. but 
he's been that player for quite a few years for me, so I'm looking forward to cheer him on again and yeah, yeah not have to feel so grumpy that the Warriors <laughs> let him go. I still can't believe that. It's interesting, the lag, when it comes to the perception of Sean Johnson. Like you say, he, he has changed from that steppy halfback years ago, yet commentators still sort of, you know, rabbit on about being that kind of player who just runs the ball and, and they just do not give him credit for the way he manages the game. I, I, I mean, they are starting to give him credit about how he manages the game. I did notice that on the weekend. They gave him a lot of credit. But it's interesting it took about four years uh, for them to realise that he's not just the flashy player who's inconsistent and comes in and out of games depending on you know what mood he's in. Yeah, I think the expectation for him as he came in and the stuff he did when he was younger just set the bar ridiculously high. The Warriors didn't do a great job of constructing a team around him until the year they let him go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he's he's done it for the Kiwis and he's done it with his kicking game, which is underrated and that's not you know it's not going to make headlines putting a ball in the air and 10 meters from the line it's not going to make the highlight reels i used to think it was because a lot of the aussie commentators didn't watch a lot of warriors games yeah but the trend kept going while he's at the sharks so i think it was just expectations and now they've sort of been reset now that he's turned 30 and wears the number seven yeah that's right and and totally agree his kicking game is light years ahead of what it once was as well so that's a that's a good point so i guess jason just to wrap up you know our original conversation particularly around the six again rule it sounds like you'd be happy for that to be scrapped as a whole i think i'm probably at the at the point where i definitely want the six again for the 10 meters to be scrapped and you know i'm on the fence about the six again for the ruck infringement so is that roughly where you're at you'd you'd be happy for it to be scrapped and get back to where it was 2019 yep i would that'd be my ideal but I'm also, I don't think they'll do it. So I'm kind of preparing myself for getting rid of the 10-metre infringement and keeping the ruck infringement, which I can live with at this stage. But yeah, yeah. ideally 2019 and maybe just get a bit more strict on those penalties inside the attacking 20, which I think is the main gripe mm. most people had and what caused all of this. So yeah, a bit better policing around there would be my ideal, but yeah. I'm certainly not expecting it okay well jason we are out of time but it has been illuminating having you on and chatting this stuff through we'll keep watching this great game of course and look forward to your continued thoughtful output about all of its on-field trends in the meantime jason oliver thanks for joining the progressive rugby league podcast cheers thanks for having me Progressive Rugby League. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, thanks again for your time, ladies and gentlemen. A few of you have asked about the reduced frequency of the pod in recent times. No reason for it, really. It's just like a game of rugby league, I suppose. Sometimes the ball just tends to follow you, and you're in the thick of it. And sometimes, no matter what you do, you can't get a touch. I should probably just get more organised. Anyway, until we next meet somewhere on a rugby league freeze frame, rugby league hobby, and see ya.